Amen. All right, go ahead and get your Bibles out, and uh, if you haven't already, turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If it hasn't been necessarily made, uh, been made known formally about what, what we're kind of working through at the moment, we don't necessarily have a topic or a um, sermon series per se, but we have been dealing with uh, this topic of a spiritual warfare, if you haven't kind of picked up on that. And um, how, how the spiritual war is waging currently and different ways in which it is, uh, you know, it is surfaced, how it's surfaced, how Satan has tweaked um, the minds of people and, and these teachings and how the, the outworkings of that are some of the things that we see currently um, Josh had preached a message uh, last, not this past Sunday, but last Sunday about, um, you know, the confusion of genders. You know, you would think as, as, as basic and as fundamental as those things are of knowing the difference between male and female, um, he's blurred those lines. Satan has blurred those lines and caused confusion. Um, so in one way that surfaced. Um, another way is in the, basically the home, you've got um, uh, ways in which um, the home is being rearranged, redefined, um, and, and a lot of people in the world today say it's okay to have uh, two moms in the home raising children, two fathers, uh, marriages between the same sexes, and that's okay. So that's another way in which the lines have been blurred, confusion's been caused, um, so we're going to deal with a lot more issues um, this Sunday, kind of throwing around some ideas about how um, different teachings, different ideals uh, are being taught to our young ones and how really you take, at first you have a teaching, and at first the teaching doesn't seem like it's that harmful until you take that teaching to its outworkings, um, and then you get to a pretty bad place, right? When we say... It's not a big deal for a man and a man to get married. Or when we say it's not a big deal for a woman and a woman, obviously going against God's pattern, from the beginning we might say that's not really a huge deal. I'm, I'm not going to you know, really butt my head into a situation that I don't find myself um, that I should be butting my head into. So I'm going to kind of just leave that alone. Well, now that we've blurred the lines from who's allowed to marry who and we get away from God's pattern, well, you take that down a little bit further, and, to, and who's to say it's wrong for, um, if, if we say, you know, I just, uh, I just happen to like males, and, and you can't tell me otherwise. Well, what happens then when I say, well, you know what, I, I just happen to like those um, who are younger, 10, 11, 12, that, that's kind of my preference. I, I, I really enjoy to, that's kind of my, um, that, that's uh, an age range in which I, I find attractive. You see, now that we've kind of let this go here, the logical outworking then is, where's the, where's the line? Where's the boundary? And so those are ways in which Satan has kind of worked his, his evil hands um, and deceived our ways of thinking. But again, this isn't anything new, right? They go all the way back to the beginning of time, and um, he's been working in Genesis chapter 3, right, with uh, Adam and Eve. So we're going to be dealing a lot more with this topic in, in different ways. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I, I want us to talk and think about ways in which Satan 
is able to kind of stick his hands and make a mess of things in God's created world. That's what I want us to think about tonight. And we're going to look, try to stay mostly in 2 Corinthians, but what we're going to see is Paul's actually going to allude to Genesis chapter 3. And he's going to say, I don't want you Corinthians to be deceived like Eve was. I don't want you to fall into that trap. So um, the context is going to take us back to Genesis chapter 3. But before we do that, I want to kind of get our minds going. Um, Has anybody been scammed in their lifetime that you're willing to to maybe express? Anybody been scammed before? Crystal, what... Whatever you would like to share about that incident? <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I got scammed in 2015 online from an uh, IT uh, company saying that they had a special going and they were out. I knew they were out from India because of their Indian voices. Yeah. Indian. <laughs> Indian and, uh, and they said that I had a hacker on my on my on my computer. So um, they opened up. They showed me everything. They opened it up, and it did say a guy named Steve from Canada. But I just didn't think about it until way later. They kept doing this over and over every year. Pay three hundred fifty. Yeah. Well, because I didn't pay the three hundred fifty, they closed me out. So now I can't. I don't have any access to my to my um, computer. The old computer. Okay, so we've got, yeah, so there's a lot, who, there's, there's been a recent surge in, um, I even saw on some Dell and some Mac that, you know, there'll be something that pops up on your screen saying you, you're due for an update or your software needs to get uh, updated and it'll be a scam. And so they're telling people don't click on that, don't insert your number if you need to um, update something we'll contact you a specific way. So you have through the computer. Uh, I remember when I worked at hotels um, several years ago, people would call the hotel and ask to get transferred to a random, a random hotel num- uh, room. And we would transfer, they wouldn't say anything, but that was a scammer and they were talking to our guests saying, hey, um, you know, we, we, well, we lost your credit card number. Can you give us, this is the front desk, can you give us your credit card number? And I can't tell you how many guests gave their credit card information over the phone. And matter of fact, we had to post things up in the hotel saying, if anyone's, co- we would ask you to come down in person to, to swipe your card so we don't do anything over the phone. But lo and behold, scammers, you know, people who were, were, were deceitful. So let, let's, let's think about this. Why are scammers, um, why are they so... Um, successful why why, how can why are scammers successful they're they're good liars okay man that because that was a complex you know that pitch to 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 get crystal into one yeah ezekiel they mimic okay what other reasons What, what would you say we're gullible we are, and, and really, isn't that here? Don't, don't they really pursue the demographics that, that seem to be maybe ignorant? Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, when we went on a trip this, actually, last, uh, last week, 
we stopped at a town. Uh, I can't remember what town it was, but we stopped at a McDonald's, um, got some gas, and uh, got a bite to eat for the road. Well, turns out that next day, early in the morning, Crystal checked our bank account, um, and thank goodness she did, because I never do stuff like that. But she's like, I'm just going to go through and make sure everything's okay. Lo and behold, it says that there, were, there was a charge um, from Postmates, um, and it says that somebody ordered through Postmates in San Francisco that previous evening. Um, I don't even have Postmates. Um, no, it was DoorDash. Was it DoorDash? Uh, it was DoorDash. I don't have a DoorDash. And so somebody had got my card information. I don't know how, but they, they billed 24 bucks to a McDonald's in San Francisco. So we called. So somehow, some way, I don't know, but they got my, my card information. And so they were utilizing that. I don't know how they did. And um, so, yeah, they, they have a little bit of our information. What else? Okay. So you think about, I mean, the list could go on as to why scammers are successful. Um, and why is that so? They have a way in which they, they go through with their pitches. They have a way in which they target certain demographics. Um, they have a way in which they mimic what we may be used to paying. Like, I'm used to signing up for uh, things online and putting my credit card online. So they'll mimic that as to to say this is just like that, um, you know, they'll be persistent. They'll maybe try to contact me more than once in different ways. And I want us to think about with scammers, would you say that these ways in which the scammers work could also be used in ways to describe how Satan works? Could Satan be, dis- be, be described as somebody who tweaks the truth? He is the father of lies, Jesus says. Right? And we'll talk about what he does specifically in Genesis chapter 3. But does Satan mimic the truth? Anybody think of a, a, uh, an example off the top of your head? How is the way in which he mimics the truth? Yes. Other, yeah, other faith groups. You remember, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, I'm so surprised that you're so quickly deserting basically the true gospel for a fake one, right? There's a mimicking gospel, okay? Is Satan pretty knowledgeable about the demographics that he targets? How so? How might we apply that? Does he know how to tempt each and every one of us? Are we all temptable in the same ways? Do we all struggle with the same things? No. He knows specifically what we, what we tempt. Now, he's not, again, we don't want to give him too much credit. He's not like, um, you know, Jehovah God and all-knowing. There's a limit, but he knows what he's doing. He's been doing it since the beginning. And so he's aware of who we are, what we struggle with. He's aware of those who are ignorant, is he not? The majority of folks who get led astray from the truth are those who probably do not have a good handle of God's Word, most likely. So he's going to target them. 
He has certain information that he knows. I mean, you remember going back to Job chapter 1 and 2, it says that there was a heavenly scene, and in, in, uh, in this heavenly scene that uh, uh, Satan comes forward, and he says that uh, basically, God, uh, I'm going to tempt this guy by the name of Job, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to be successful. And so he goes on, he knows his situation, he knows his, uh, his family, he knows what kind of life he's living, so he's, he's able to gather certain information, and, and, and finally, is he persistent? Yes. Very persistent. He's not going to try once and then move on. He's going to try over and over again. And so Paul's going to talk about, basically, the ways in which Satan is successful and he's going to say these, the fact that Satan is able to do all of this in a, in a way that he's really good at what he does, it's causing me to become two things. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse number 1. Paul says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy. So what's the first emotion Paul says he feels about the Corinthians? I feel jealous, right? Does anybody else have a different translation there? A godly jealousy, right? Is God, is our God a jealous God? Absolutely, right? He says, I feel a divine or a godly jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, and so he says, I'm feeling this godly jealousy because really I feel like a father to you, Corinthians. Number one, I planted the church there in Corinth. I taught most of you, if not all of you. And so now that you're in Christ, it's almost as if I'm a father and my child, my daughter, is betrothed, is, is being about to marry her husband. And he says, I feel a duty to present you to your husband, that is Christ, and I want to present you to him as you being pure. And so it's almost as if he takes on that responsibility to say, that's why I'm jealous. I don't want you to go off and, and flirt with these other idols. I don't want you to become unfaithful to God and, and doing all of these, these worldly things and fulfilling your flesh. And so I like the way he uses himself, this kind of this imagery, this illustration of, of that of a father. He goes on to say in verse number three, he gives his second emotion. He says, but I'm afraid. So number one, he says, I'm jealous. But number two, Paul says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunningness, ESV says. What does your Bible say? Craftiness. Does anybody else have a different word there? Subtlety. subtlety. His subtlety. He says, your thoughts or your minds will be led astray from a secure and pure devotion to Christ. Does anybody else have two different words there? Corrupted? Simplicity. That's what, uh, that's what New American Standard has. And what? Simplicity, end of verse number three. Pure. Pure. And so he says, I'm afraid that you will be led astray by the schemes, by the deceitfulness that, sa that Satan possesses. All of this here, 
when he uses this on you that causes to me fearful to, for me to be fearful for you, he says, because you'll be led astray from basically the gospel, which is described in two parts. He says, simplicity. Let me ask you this. Can God's word be confusing sometimes? Sure. The more that you dive, the more that you dig, the more you have to study, right? You could study the Bible your whole life and still touch basically just the top. And so we know that God's word and his knowledge is immense, to say the least. But is the way in which he calls us to walk in this world, is that confusing? No. Paul says, simple. It's simple. Last night at Recharge, that's what we talked about. Uh, this came up and, and Ken said, I'm amazed at how easily people are confused because he says, when I read God's word, it's so simple. And that's what Miss Lori said too. She's like, man, some of her loved ones, she said, I'm just, I get so irritated. I get frustrated because how can you not see it? It's simple. It's simple. And so what we see God's word is the gospel is simple, but he also says it's pure. So if I'm going to dabble, if, if this guy here is going to dabble in this, what is that going to cause these to become? It'll cause what was simple to become what? Complicated. There's several words we could use. Confusing. What else? When we dabble with the simplicity of the gospel, the result can be that it now becomes what? What do you guys think? Truthful? Well, it, it is truthful, right? The, the gospel in and of itself is truthful. Well, when we dabble in it, especially when Satan puts his hands in it, he causes it to become what? Confusing? What other words come to mind? Corrupt, right? I think that we could use this word here. If something is pure and you touch it, it's now impure, right? Especially if my hands are dirty. So something that was once pure becomes corrupt. Any other words coming to mind? Doubtful, Doubtful? sure. You ever been so convinced and then you, you know, something happens in your life or you hear a different teaching, it causes you to almost doubt what, what, you, what you first thought was, man, I'm, I'm really just, you know, I'm secure on this. I, I know the truth. And what Satan will do is he'll kind of put his hands in there and cause us to become doubtful. Well, I'm not really sure. You know, um, did God really say that you're going to, you know, die if you eat of the fruit of the tree of, uh, of, of uh, knowledge? You see, what is he doing? He's planting what in the mind of Eve? He's planting doubt. He's questioning God's word. And so anytime we take this and we begin to manipulate, um, the New Testament will use the word um, uh, twist or contort. You take God's word and these false teachers were taking something that was simple and pure and they were twisting it to fit their own agenda. Right? And, and, and that hasn't stopped to this day. There are still people who go out and teach things. They'll take a passage from the Bible, pull it out of its context. They'll tweak it and twist it 
so that it fits what they're trying to teach. Yeah. How many times do we take a simple command, a simple teaching, and, man, we just can take that and, and we make it so confusing for ourselves. And so that's what Paul, I love what he says here. He says that this is causing me to be afraid on your behalf. And so when we think about this, Paul's going to give us, in 2 Corinthians, he's going to give us a list, basically, that Satan has several ways, several devices for attacking believers. Okay, we're going to stay, we're going to stay in 2 Corinthians here. Number one, Satan can burden the consciences, consciences rather, of believers who have sinned. You ever do something you know is against God's will? And you already are beating yourself up, up for it. What does Satan want us to do in that particular time? Continue to beat myself up so that I don't come to who? To free myself of that load. To come to God. Let's turn to chapter 2 in verses 10 and 11. When we get there, somebody read that for us nice and loud, please. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sake. In the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Okay, so Paul right there is going to connect this un unwillingness to forgive or how we deal with somebody who does wrong. He says, verse 11, <laughs> he says, so that we would not be outwitted, the ESV says. We would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. When you have conflict in the church, you think Satan wants to stop that conflict right away? To help us come to a resolution? No, he, he loves it when we're at war with one another. Okay, go to chapter 4 and verse 4. Chapter 4 and verse 4. Somebody read that for us. Whose minds the God of this age hath blinded who, who, do, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Okay, so what does Paul say that Satan's able to do here to a believer? able to blind what? The eyes? The mind. He's able to blind the mind. Does anybody know, can think of somebody in their life who's right now going through being blinded of the truth? What does that look like? What does that look like for somebody to be blinded from the truth? What could, what could that look like? It could look like they're very spiritually sound and that they have found something that they've been looking for all their life, but that's another deception. Sure. Satan uses. Could I be so puffed up with my knowledge, with my intellect, that that's being used to keep myself from really seeing the truth? There's, there's a lack of humility? Absolutely. We see that Oh, I'm trusting my emotion. I'm leaning more on my emotion than I am on being able to think through things. That's something we deal with a lot with this age. 
right? I'm going to follow what I feel and not necessarily what I see and what I can study and what I can test. What else? Yeah, Ezekiel? Scott, we're discussing this idea that we've allowed our pearls to the whole world. Like, there's so many people that understand simple things in the scriptures, and it's like Satan has no problem with using scripture. We see that in the New Testament, and it's these other congregations, these other people that have a different faith, they sound truth mm. just by quick glimpses, and yet the corruption is deep. Yeah. And they'll lure you in. And like the more and more I see these podcasts, this guy's scripture, and he reads, and he studies, and it's like, yeah, look at the person. Look at what he actually believes. And like a group of those people. And it's like, no, the corruption is so far there. Yeah. Good. That's a good example. Because Paul actually is going to talk about that later on in chapter 11. That he's like, okay, one of the ways in which you can spot out a false teacher is look at their lives. <laughs> Look at the way in which they conduct themselves. Look at these false teachers. Examine their life and look at my life and examine mine. He says, number one, I should have charged you because I'm basically teaching and preaching God's word to you, but I chose not to. I was robbing other churches to support me while I'm ministering to you guys. How does that make me a false teacher? <laughs> what other false teacher does that? None. And so he, he says, look at my life. The way in which I spoke to you. I didn't use flowery words and, and speech at a high level. He says, the false teachers, they're good at that. I'm, I'm not as good as that. I'm not as charismatic as they are. But it's okay because that's not my intention. I want to teach the truth plainly to you. So he does that exactly. He says, one of the ways in which you spot this out is you look at the lives. Right? Yeah, Donald. Donald. You know, Satan appeals to the flesh. And he hits us where we're most vulnerable, and hence we're deceived. Yeah. You know, but uh, no matter no matter how much you know, if you don't know God, if you don't know His Word, if you don't know the Word, then you're, you stand to lose. Right. Right. Jesus says again, John chapter ten, I know my sheep, and my own my and my sheep know me. There, there's got to be a recognition both ways that. You know, if I'm up here teaching, if Josh is up here teaching and preaching, or whoever's up here teaching and preaching, are you able to, to, to know when something is not biblical? You know, or at least to where you're like, man, that's, I, didn't, I don't see that. Show me where that is. So to be able to spot that, and that's why he says, um, again, in chapter 11, he's going to say that everybody's got to give an account. It is on you and yourself to, to take what you're hearing, the information you're hearing, and to test that as to whether it is biblical or it isn't. Like, you've got to learn how to do that. And that's part of maturity, right? Is, is do you know how to take information and to test it with God's Word? Do you, do you do that? You know, only you can answer that for yourself, but you take any piece of information out there, and basically, you know, the, the term fact-checked has become pretty big right now, right? Fake news and all of that. You and I are fact-checkers. That's what we're supposed to be. Because that's what got Eve in trouble at the very beginning. She didn't, indeed, fact-check what Satan had said. Any other thoughts? So he says he can um, basically, 
influence our consciences, how we deal with, um, we deal with uh, differences within the church. Number two, it says that he's able to blind the minds of unbelievers, right? He's able to put this, uh, this, this, this some kind of a, of, of a, um, a divergent, a, a, a something in front that keeps that from, from reaching them. And we really see that in the parable of the sowers, Right, the person who the the says that their heart is is um, is so hard that the that the word falls on their heart. It says um, it's eaten up before there's any any real um, you know penetration to take place. Let's go to chapter eleven and verse three again. To make our way. Chapter eleven, verse three. Read this again. ESV says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunningness, his craftiness, your thoughts also will be led astray from the sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So in what ways can our thoughts, can our minds be led astray from this? Yeah, Donald. Now, do we were raised or things we experienced previously? Sure. You have, you have anything, can you give a little bit more sure. on that? Uh, well, I, I grew up, uh, you know, drinking and smoking and doing all that. And now, I still, I still think about it. You know, uh, it, it's, it's not, um, it used to make me afraid when I was trying to stay sober. But now it's just kind of almost laughable. Mm. And, uh, but that's what he uses your past experiences, what you already kind of know or saw or heard. He'll use that. Interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. anybody else? Yeah. I just know how my daughter has been led astray. It's number one, not being in the Word. Number two is, um, I forgot, it's gone. And number three is that uh, they they never sought godly counsel. Mm. And um, yeah, you know when you have questions and stuff. So. I think that's a great point. I, I didn't think about that. I have ideas here, and whatever you guys don't hit, I'm bringing up. But oh, I remember number two. Yeah. And they were instead of focusing on Christ, they were constantly looking at you know what's wrong with the church and this person and that person and you know we don't do this right we don't do that right and it's, you know if you're going to yeah. look for all the negative you're going to find it yeah that's that's interesting i want to i want to i want to speak on that a little bit touch on that how how hard would it be for us to get here to here if we didn't use the resources that God provides us with. You think it'd be a little bit harder for us to get here to there if we didn't acknowledge the resources and utilize those resources? For example, those who are maybe new converts or newer in Christ, don't you think that when there's a topic or a time in your life you're faced with that you're really unsure, you hadn't exactly studied it out yet, this is the first time you're experiencing it, don't you think it'll be important and beneficial to you to, to, to go to a Christian that has been through that before? 
Don't you think it's important for you to ask somebody who's walked with God for several years? Over and over, we find ourselves doing or looking to people that have no experience with God or godly counsel. We'll go to friends and ask friends or family about marital um, advice, and they're on marriage three, four, or five. I mean, honestly, right? We're going to them, asking them, and they're saying, oh, just leave her. Just leave them. No. And they're not even in the And they're, where are they getting their information from? You know, it's not from God. So why would I go there instead of, instead of acknowledging people who have walked with Christ? You know, it's just, I think that's something that you can't really, you can't see really how, how, how beneficial that is. It is so important. Well, it's kind of like asking for a spanking, though. You, you don't want to hear it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so you want to listen to somebody who's going to tickle your ears. Yes. And... Reaffirm what your belief is and what you want to do. Yes, that—that's the truth, isn't it? Who's who's who do you who would you rather call? Somebody who's going to say, "Yeah, keep doing what you're doing," or somebody that's going to give you the spanking, you know, to say, "What are you doing? No, that's not okay," you know. That's the change. That's not okay. We're going to choose the easy route, or we we want to. The scammer wants us to take that route. Because he's good at what he does. So he's going to supply us with people who, guess what, who are like that. If I'm still around people who are involved in that worldly, worldly lifestyle, if I'm still surrounding myself with people who don't believe in a God at all, you think Satan's going to use them to influence me? Absolutely. And so there are a lot of things that Satan will do that Paul says, or he, he, you know, we can make application for in chapter 11 and verse 3, that... What Satan does is his craftiness is able to lead us astray. You know, lead us astray. Um, Go to chapter 12, the next chapter, in verse number 7. Got a few minutes left. Chapter 12 and verse number 7. Here he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to do what to me? To torment or harass me. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Josh, have you studied that out some? It's an interesting statement there. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. just as far as, you know, basically he'd been able to look into the third heaven and, you know, what he got to see was phenomenal as humans, man, we're going to feel pretty special about that. But it's almost like, come on, God, I should be blessed by you. Like, I should, if I've been blessed to see this, then I should also be blessed physically. Yeah. But why am I struggling so much? This may not be physical, but whatever the case, something is hurting him that he wishes just could let, let it go. So I, and, and I struggled a little bit with this because, you know, he mentioned Satan there. Um, Russ, what does your version say? Read verse 7 for us, please. Unless they should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So a messenger of Satan was given to me from becoming conceited. 
I didn't put in as much study as I wanted to in this passage. But one thing that I can see is that as great of a man filled with knowledge Paul was, earlier before that he talks about himself being caught up into the third heaven. Basically, he, he says, man, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but I got to see some awesome stuff um, in, the next, in the spiritual realm, and I got to see things that, man, it just blew my mind. And if I was able to, to see that and these other false teachers weren't, then what could that inf- how could that influence me? Well, I could be very puffed up. I could be very conceited. I can become very arrogant to say, who else here has done that? Who has God shown a vision into heaven other than me? See, he could allow that to, to cause him to become conceited. He says, I could go that way, but I didn't. And he says, the actu- the, actually, the opposite happens is a thorn in the flesh has been given to me, basically to torment me, to keep me humble. And to some degree, that is... Um, that is attributed to Satan. And so when you think about how Satan's all, what he's also able to do, doesn't he target those who are leaders? Doesn't he target those who are in positions of big influence? And so the more that you grow, the more that you develop, the greater that God is able to use you. But again, you think about how Satan works. He wants to influence those that have great influence in the way that they're able to fall. You know, there are people maybe that you know of that you looked up to in the faith and how Satan had worked in their life, you know, and the ways in which they fell and, and, and their sins were, were, were manifested. Does that influence you? It does. You become discouraged. And so when we think about the ways in which Satan works, I just wanted to maybe piece that apart and and pick that apart a little bit to say um, the more that we're able to study this out, the forms in which which he deploys these false teachings, um, these these ideologies, um, we're going to try to deal with at some point, you know, this idea of, of, of there not being a God and that teaching being pushed, um, that we're all created by time, chance, and matter. That, um, that, or the teaching that it doesn't matter who you worship, that we're all on, in an avenue, we're, going, we're all going to end up in heaven, we're all just taking different routes. Well, what does that sound like to you? <laughs> that sounds like this. You know, it sounds good. Okay, you mean I don't have to den- deny myself, pick up my cross and follow Christ? Yeah, I can do whatever I want and I'll still end up there. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I'm going to do that way. Right? So... We're going to deal with this a little bit more at length, but I wanted to piece a, pick apart uh, chapter 11, first few verses. Um, we didn't make it to Genesis, so um, maybe you can go back and read through that. But what Satan does is he causes Eve to question what God really commanded. He basically rewords God's um, his instruction to them. But then he says, is that really true? He plants that seed of doubt in her mind, and then he's going to influence her um, doesn't make her, but he influences her, right? He influences her. Any thoughts or questions as we kind of close up shop? Yeah, Crystal. Do you think everybody, do you think, well, I mean, I know like all leaders, like, do you think every leader that is a man of God, strong preaching, do you think that there's a 
a thorn in their flesh that God has possibly admitted there so that to keep them humble like Paul because wasn't he his his thorn was um, he didn't get healed right so it kept them humble to keep preaching the word otherwise he would fall back to yeah. the conceit and say you know I'm <clears throat> So it never really tells us what that thorn is. It doesn't really tell us, but you know, there's some there's some thoughts out there, and people kind of kind of guess. But whatever it is, it's to keep him humble, right? And so Paul will tell you that uh, he struggled with many things. He struggled with um, with lusting after, you know, that uh, that's not the word he uses. What does he use? Coveting. He struggles with coveting. Um, it, it, he talks a lot about pride and being puffed up, so possibly he, he, he struggled with that. I mean, think about his position. Before he converted to Christianity, he was a big shot. So, you know, to have to take that life and then that's completely transformed to now he's getting beaten, he's getting um, thrown overboard, he's getting shipwrecked. Um, uh, it's a big difference, so possibly there was that. But, you know, everybody struggles. You know, everybody struggles. Everybody's got temptations. And Satan, again, he's aware of those, so he's going to pursue that, right? And, um, and so everybody, in a way, is, is going through a struggle. It's just, uh, again, what he says is to keep your mind fixed on that, what God has given as simple and pure, right, and keep pursuing this. Yeah, Carol? I, uh, as you were saying, um, what Satan does is the more we're in God's Word, the more he will tempt us and say, Oh, you don't need to be in God's word. Um, you can do this; it's better. But us as Christians would rather be in God's word rather than saying, "Okay, I'll go out to a party or whatever." Yeah. Yep. Staying in God's word—that'll keep us. That'll keep us safe. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, close up. I'll I'll, um, I'll close up in a word of prayer, and then if we could.